you can still focus on acquisition. And, and as a matter of fact, focusing on your existing customers creates a new acquisition channel where they are going out and being advocates for your brand and telling people. And you can even create formal ways for them to do that through a referral or affiliate program. Or you can just give them an amazing experience that they just naturally go and do that. But it does create another acquisition channel. And that's fun too, to see retention outpacing net new acquisition in terms of acquisition. It's fun. This week on Inboxing, Val Geisler, Retention Marketing Specialist and Director of Retention and Lifestyle Marketing at ByHeart. Welcome back to another episode of Inboxing. This is Season 3, Episode 11, and I'm super proud to welcome Val Geisler to the show. She's done this rodeo a few times. She's been a, I think she's been a podcast host herself. Because she's had quite the career working in email and email brands and, and having her own agency. And she's known as a retention specialist. So we're going to talk all about that and the road to here and, and beyond. Please give a warm welcome to Val Geisler. Hi, thanks for having me. For sure. It was a huge honor. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, like the first time I knew about you through, I guess, just because like you have a lot of content on the internet. I like started it. But then when I had Emily Ryan on, she told me you guys yeah. like actually, yeah, you guys knew each other. Well, we went to college emails. together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's quite funny. So yeah, and you're both, you're like, she was an actress. You were like a stagehand or something? Yeah, what? stage manager. Yeah, she was. Stage manager. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a stage manager for some of the shows she did in college. And, and then we stayed in touch and. Actually, when I was working as a project manager, virtual assistant kind of person was when we reconnected and got her involved in email and she's loved it ever since. That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. All right. So we'll just jump into the first question, which is really like, how do you, that, how do you go from there to, to retention specialist extraordinaire? Yeah, it's a long and winding road, I think, but Working in theater and as a stage manager gave me a lot of leadership skills and skills that were transferable to other types of work. And after, let's see, after theater, I went to, I worked for an, a botanical garden in their special events department. So the head of that department recognized the skills that I had. She actually was a art major when she went to school and so she knew hey these bfa skills transfer to the working world in different ways she she hired me to work on weddings and special events at the botanical garden and so i worked there for a little while probably about two years and in the wedding industry there, there's hotels there's botanical gardens there's special event venues and I ended up working for Marriott for a little while, leading their events at a hotel. And I got really burnt out on events. It's a very demanding kind of career and started going to yoga. And at yoga, I got to know I there were a few people who were wearing different leggings and tank tops and they mentioned that they got them from Lululemon. And Lululemon was not in the US yet. It was only in Canada. 
and it was just starting to come to the U.S. at the time. And so I didn't know what it was. I looked it up and noticed that they were actually coming to the city I was living in. They were looking for a showroom manager. And so I applied and got into retail through that. <clears throat> Worked for Lululemon for a couple of years and ended up Lululemon teaches you how to run a business. And I learned how to manage a PL and how to run a team and how to run a business through working there and set a goal to work for myself one day and left Lululemon to become a project manager, virtual assistant type of role and worked with people on their onboarding of their new clients, which is a lot of email related. And then running my own business, I ended up working at ConvertKit, which is an ESP. They, I had pitched them on working on their onboarding. They were a pretty new software at the time. And they said, well, actually, can you come help us just run all of our marketing? I did that and got to know email inside and out at ConvertKit. And when I left ConvertKit, I went back out on my own and focused fully on email and really on that customer retention side of things where really focusing on helping brands keep the customers they've already attracted through better email marketing. And then I've done a few things in that space, but that's how I got to email from theater. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, that's quite the journey. I appreciate you getting as detailed as it got. All right, let's jump to this one. So you mentioned you ended with your agency. Uh, agency was called Fix My Turn. So yeah. it's clearly retention focused. So what were some of the struggles of running your own agency? Oh, there's hundreds of struggles when you're running a business. <laughs> I think that the biggest thing I learned was I am very good at being entrepreneurial and I'm not as good at doing the work and running the business at the same time. So running your own business is its own job, its own full-time job. And then actually doing the client work is a separate job. And so I did have to learn how to scale my business and bring in other people to support the client work. But I actually really enjoyed the client work. I didn't want to give that up too much. So I have found that I've, I heard this term intrapreneur, somebody who works for another business in an entrepreneurial way, but doesn't have the responsibilities of actually running the business and doing all the kind of operations type stuff. I think I would be good at the operations stuff if it was on its own, but in addition to client work and marketing and sales and all the things that go into running your own business. Uh, right. This is the too easy. much for me. Yeah. Right. So that was like sure. the biggest struggle. All right. What were your biggest learnings? Yeah. You worked in churn. So it was just yeah. like sending a lot of email or yeah, it was very, when you say you name your agency, fix my churn, like some big lofty goal. Very focused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that I learned and that my my clients learned too, it, I, I had a suspicion, but my clients definitely learned is that reducing churn and increasing customer retention is a very long play. It's not something you can really see results from immediately. There are definitely leading indicators of success or failure in that regard, but it's not something that you can really, really see tangible results from right away. And I think that was probably the biggest, both challenge and learning was figuring out how to 
explain that to clients and how to how to work with that because as a business owner you want to get results for your clients and clients want you to get results for them and so how do you do that in a way that is meaningful also recognizing the fact that churn reduction is a long play it's you see the results of it six months later when you're talking about increasing a customer's lifetime value if it's currently you get hired with a client and they say our ltv is nine months and we want it to be 12. That's a year before you see if the results of your work. And sometimes you don't even work with that client anymore when those results are coming in. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to think about. Like, how do you provide value when it is a longer game? For sure. And also not, not every brand, the cycle of purchasing could be years apart. Yeah, you talk about furniture, like a million products could be yeah. that way. Yeah. And that's that was what was fun about running the agency was working with all different kinds of brands and having that experience of selling everything from protein bars to t-shirts to furniture like all and it's interesting how some things are the same and some things are wildly different for sure i guess i've had that experience also where you try a subject line with one brand and it like smashes the home run and different brands like falls flat yeah <laughs> even if yeah. it's the same vertical yeah and design and all of those things matter and it's really about the customers right like it's who are the customers of that brand? If you're talking to parents, you're going to have a different kind of experience through email than if you're talking to a, a corporate VP. It's just like a, a totally different kind of email. Or maybe it's not. Maybe they're the same person. It's like a thing. I've, you know, everyone's human. But right. still, you have right. to adjust your, yeah, like the way you talk to Val Geyser is not the same way you want to necessarily talk to Hello Bird. Correct. <laughs> example. Yeah. And uh, I got... Uh, when I initially started out on my own, I was working mostly with SaaS companies and it wasn't until later that I worked with e-commerce brands. And with SaaS, I got a lot of questions about, do you do B2B or B2C? And I always thought at the end of the day, even if you're B2B, there's a human being that's opening an email on the other end of the exchange, right? I was said I was I did business to human, right? Like it doesn't matter whether we're marketing to a business a large Fortune 500 corporation, or if we're mar marketing to an individual who has maybe a small budget, there's the messaging is different, but the intention is the same. 100%. So from there, you went to Clavio. Now, Clavio is, I don't know if they're at the top of the pyramid, but they're very up there. How was yeah, that transition? E-commerce e email, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, what was that like? And how long were you there for? Just, I know. Yeah, I was at Clavio for two years. It was, it was very exciting. We I joined when there were about six or 700 people. And when I left, there were around 1,400 people. So it was quite the tr growth trajectory during the time we were there. And um, I my role was to bring customer advocacy into Clavio. The job is, of customer advocacy is really helping the company understand who the customers are. We did everything from right case studies to building personas to working on the reviews. We partnered with our, there's a voice of customer team and we partnered with them on some of the reporting and really just getting a holistic picture of who the customers are and then helping from a marketing perspective, go out to market with those stories because everybody wants to hear from their peers so much more than they want to hear from marketers. Mm -hmm. For sure. For yeah. Sure. All right. 
having worked with a lot of brands and what are your proudest achievements so far in this space? Yeah, I think definitely like the ability to work with lots of different brands is I think a very, an achievement I'm very proud of because it speaks to the fact that this work does translate across different industries and types of businesses. One of the things that I'm most proud of is the ability to learn about retention and churn reduction from subscription-based brands. I started working with SaaS who are inherently subscription and then translated that to subscription e-commerce. So a lot of consumer packaged goods, food, makeup, those kinds of things. And then translating those learnings over to a non-subscription-based e-commerce brand, t-shirts or furniture, things that you don't necessarily have on subscription, or there's maybe a set lifetime for that subscription. So yeah, I think being able to easily move from area to area and different focuses and then apply those learnings across what I learned from SaaS, applying it to e-commerce and vice versa. I really love that. I love learning and I love being able to grow. And so anytime where I'm able to do that, I'm super proud of my work. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So what surprises you the most about the state of email? Yeah, I think like everyone, my entire career in email has, there's been how many articles about how email is dead. Nobody reads email anymore. Brands shouldn't focus on email. And, but it, it's still here. Nobody's stopping doing email. If anything, we're doing email more strategically, like spending more time with email now than we used to. And I don't think that surprises me as so much as it is like validating in that the email world is constantly evolving and evolving to meet the current climate. And I think, I guess what maybe surprises me is when brands are doing things that we did eight years ago and they're still doing those things. And it's really, is that actually working for you? <laughs> brands that aren't evolving because the email is constantly evolving, right? It's just, it changes all the time. It has such a powerful impact on a brand. That's just undeniable. And it's really fun to see that. It's fun to see the evolution of email and the impact that email can have. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It's not going away. It's just going to change. For sure. It's like I one of my favorite posts on LinkedIn ever was Lou Lewitz. She's a copywriter. So there's this whole thing about like how coffee's dead. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. It. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, and then just flip it around. It's, like, it's really about email. This is the most ridiculous thing anyone can ever say. <laughs> yeah. It's if you said nobody uses the internet anymore. That's like, really? You have to really think about that. Is that true? I, there, I think sometimes those headlines are just like pure clickbait, but they do poke at the fact that email is like what maybe the part of email that's dead is like what worked last year or the year before that you do have to constantly evolve. It's a medium in which you can't stay stagnant and have learned one way of doing it and do that forever. You have to learn and evolve constantly. For sure. All right. So we talk about retention a lot. So what are the keys to reducing churn? Are you either applied at my fix my churn or just in general from your experience as a marketer? 
what yeah. do you feel like are really the keys to like getting your customers actually to love your brand and, and go all in? I think the biggest key is getting to know who your customers are, understanding them. I am a big believer in going and talking to your customers. So everybody says, oh, yeah, we have support tickets and we have webinar chats and all these things that are very one sided. You really have to go and sit down with your customers and talk to them and get to understand what the problems are that they're trying to solve. What are the things that keep them awake at night? What are the things they're really excited about? And really know who your customers are, not just in relationship to your product, but in in general. And I follow a framework called Jobs to be Done. Jobs is really great to help you understand what they are trying to get out of your product, because a lot of times it's just not at all what we're selling from a marketing perspective. So if you can get that voice of your customer into your marketing, if you can start to use the words that they use, if you can address the problems that they say that they have in your marketing, it's so incredibly effective. And being able to do that is it's a real skill to go and interview your customers. And the first few times you do it, you're going to screw it up. And that's just it's the first thing. You know, it's not it's never going to be great the first time. So you just have to do it and get out there and talk to your customers and get to know who they are. That is the number one key to reducing churn is understanding what their problems are, how they're trying to solve them, how your product helps with that. And then speak about the product in relationship to that problem. Instead of speaking about the product from a features standpoint, talk about the benefits, talk about what they're going to get from it, and then treat them like humans throughout the process. Don't things like uh, don't just get them in the door, get your get their credit card and then stop emailing them. Stop talking to them altogether. You need to build a a true life cycle. We talk about life cycle marketing in terms of email. And a lot of times for brands, that means like up until acquisition and then it just stops. And then it's, oh, the rest is for the support team to manage or someone else. But a life cycle is truly, yes, through acquisition. But then beyond that, what is their experience of the product? What is their their time with the product and what problems are they running into? And how can email help address those things? But yeah, the key to all of that is talking to your customers and understanding them. Pick up the phone. like Yeah, dial. like schedule <laughs> calls with them. Pick up the phone, get on a Zoom, get in yeah. person with them if you can. Do right. one-to-one. It's the things that don't scale are the things that help reduce churn, quite honestly. It's the the in-person events. It's the, the talking to customers. It's all these things that just are... You, as marketers, we always want to scale things. We want to figure out how we can automate it. And you just can't, can't automate one-to-one conversations. Right. right. So you have to be proactive. It's proactive customer service. It's yeah, like absolutely. You yeah, it's a problem. problem. We want yeah. to talk to you. Right. Yeah. Cool. Right. So when you were at Clivy, you said you did a whole bunch of case studies. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about some of the interesting case studies you put together? Yeah, there was there were actually a couple examples of this in different formats, but where brands were sending less emails and making more money. And that's really fun and exciting to me. And they were doing it through segmentation. So they were segmenting down to certain types of customers, people who had bought certain items or didn't buy certain items. And they ended up sending less emails about. So there was one brand who they did 
regular launches of new products that they got. And they used to just send that out to everyone. They were a bit like a resale store online. And so they got Nike golf shirts. They would send that to everyone on their email list. And they switched to focusing that email on people who had purchased other golf apparel items or other Nike items. And they sent less emails, but those emails made more money than sending it to everyone. And they actually, that helped them with their deliverability. It helped them with their list maintenance. They got to keep customers on their list who did still want to buy from them, but maybe would unsubscribe if they got irrelevant emails. That kind of like saving your brand reputation and also making more money is really great that you can do all through email. Those are some, there are several examples of that in kind of the Clavio case study archives. And yeah, I think that's really fun. A case study that, that I had from Fix My Churn, which is one of my favorites and very email related is I had all of my clients send a email prior to Black Friday that said, essentially, hey, we're going to send you a bunch of emails over this weekend. And if you don't want those for any reason, just click on this link and we'll leave you alone for the next four or five days. But you'll stay on our email list and we'll see you next week. Because some people are traveling or with family or they just aren't making a lot of purchases this holiday season or for any number of reasons they could decide they don't want to see two emails a day for the next seven days. And we would send that email every time my clients were so nervous to send that email because they thought, oh, we're going to lose people from potential Black Friday revenue. What you actually do is you save people for future revenue who weren't going to buy anyways. And then they were going to probably unsubscribe because they were sick of your emails and or they're just going to not open them and delete them. And that's not great for your brand either. And those emails, we would get thank you replies to those emails. Every single time we sent that email, those emails made money. And the only call to action was to click a link and say you didn't want to get emails, not to go buy anything, not to spend any money with us as a brand, but every time the email made money. So it saved brand reputation. It saved subscribers who were going to otherwise leave the list and it made money. So it was like a huge win for everybody. Yeah, no, and that's awesome. I'm seeing them more and more people doing these kinds of things. Even I've seen it in a footer very recently. Take a break for 30 days. Yeah. The link yeah. that says take a break for 30 days and you click that link, it obviously adds a tag. And then, yeah, 30 days later, you're back on. Yeah, that <laughs> so, happens. You do that on Facebook too, right? If you're in a group following a group or following a certain page, you can mute that page or group for 30 days instead of just completely unfollowing. If you just, I just need a break from all this content for a little bit. It's okay. And yeah, and borrowing from other software where it's working really well for them. Like, why not do that in email too? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's just really humanizing. You know, you're not treating them all just like cattle. <laughs> a lot of really? emails that you saw me buy and when we're great. Yeah. <laughs> it's I actually wish more ESPs would measure replies. I wish there was a way to measure reply. We get all obsessed about open rates. What about reply rates? What if we could measure reply rates and say how many people are replying to this email and saying talking back to the brand or even forwards? How many what percentage of customers that got this email are forwarding it to somebody else? Forwarding it to a friend to say, "Hey, here's this deal or you would really like this email or whatever it is." 
I think it'd be really interesting to be able to measure those things as metrics for success, because to me, those aren't vanity metrics. Those are very actual, real metrics, unlike something like open rates. Attention, e-commerce business owners. Hi, I'm Hillel, and thank you for listening to Inboxing. Hill Bergil Marketing is here to skyrocket your e-commerce sales. With personalized campaigns and conversion optimization, we'll help you maximize profits. Hillel Berg Email Marketing, your partner for success. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, and we can find, and it's not in the question, but we just talk about open groups and someone that worked in Clavio. Why aren't brands like doing more to show they'll get, I understand. First, we'll just talk for a second about MP and basically everyone who has an Apple device, they're getting automatic opens and it's ballooning open rates across every ESP and no ESP to my knowledge is actually the simplest thing I could think of is just take your general open rate and apply it to Apple. If you have an overall open rate and then you just show open rate as an average of those two. Yeah. Things. Yeah. And with Clavio, you can, you can have a list of your Apple subscribers and so you can exclude them from your open rates to be able to say, okay, this is an open rate of everyone that's non-Apple. But um, Apple, got it. Yeah, okay. so then you can extrapolate from there. It's probably similar for Apple customers. But there are brands who they'll see over 60% of their subscribers are Apple customers. And so it can really mess with your metrics for sure. And I think to me, it's more about, it's less about like changing the way that the ESPs measure these things and more about brands caring about other metrics more. Okay. I also think about in general that don't the actual numbers less important than the ups and downs. Right? Yeah. And click rates and conversion rates and money made from that email. Like those are the things that actually matter. And those things happen if you get the open. So it's almost like open rates don't matter if those other rates are those other metrics are being tracked. Yeah, 100%. One of the strategies you mentioned about leaving a reply is like in ask a question at the end of your open e of your welcome email. I think. Yeah. Cause I actually told my copywriter to do that today for one of the brands we're working on. Yeah. But it's just interesting in terms of the Apple stuff. Like it just really depends on the brand, what percentage that Apple cohort is. Yeah. Like it's shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I know brands that their target market is different generations. And so generationally, it changes too. Yeah, I think it's let's not worry so much about things that are completely out of our control and more worry more about the things that are. Yeah, love it. All right. So in general, like what are your favorite email strategies? Um, I mentioned some of them already, but yeah, I think I have. Yeah, truly the my favorite email strategy is talking to people like humans. And like you said, remembering that they are human beings and that they're they each person, not not necessarily each person, but thinking about them in like terms of groups of people and how do we talk to them? And you might talk to, maybe you do have your B2B business and you have the executive buyers, but you also have end users that are on your email list. And if you can identify them, either through they self-identify or in the signup flow, or there's all kinds of ways you can kind of get a little bit closer to that. And it, being able to speak directly to them and their use case for your product is really important. And yeah, just like applying that human element to email. That's my favorite email strategy is recognizing that there are human beings that are opening and reading these emails and that they want 
messaging that speaks to them. So giving them that. Where are we? Okay. So what are the, the most common mistakes that you see brands are making in email marketing? Mm, the inverse of that, right? The batch and blast, not segmenting their list, continuing to email people who are not opening. I've definitely, I know we talked about open rates, but if they're not opening, they're not clicking, they're not converting. So you can work backwards from those conversions and say, hey, this subscriber, this group of subscribers are just not interacting with our emails in any way and giving them an opportunity to, like you said, take a break for a little bit, unsubscribe. Maybe you have a different email list. Like maybe you have like your marketing emails and then you have some news emails and you could invite them to another email list that they don't even know about. Might They might be more interested in. There's lots of ways you can interact with them. Maybe you have a community and you want to invite them to come there and see if they end up coming there. Really making sure that you're spending your email dollars on people who want to hear from you. That means not sending kind of blast emails to everyone on your list, not sending emails to customers who are no longer converting from email or maybe sending less to them that way. So really, again, it's like the inverse of what I just said of not applying that human element is a huge mistake. And then also thinking like everything is relevant to everyone or you're going to make the most money or get the best results from sending to everyone. Not necessarily true. Like I said, those case studies of sending to less people and getting more money from it are prime examples that it's just not true. Oh, I'm and sorry. I think that applies across the board. For sure. Just, yeah. I mean, it's these like best practices we talk about, segmentation, uh, writing good emails and putting effort into it. That's exactly. Yeah. That's just it. Is Maybe that's it is the effort, right? Like you can, sure, you can send an email every week, but are you actually putting effort into it and thinking about how the email program interacts with everything else in your brand? I think a lot of times email is an afterthought. Okay. So what are some of your favorite or most memorable campaigns and why? Mm -hmm. Definitely that Black Friday campaign is one of my favorite. Most I just think like any campaign that <laughs> kind of surprises the client that's, or even me is a favorite, right? Like where me, I've definitely had campaigns. I can't think of specifics, but I know I've had plenty of them where we've done some kind of split test and I'm like, the A version's definitely going to win. And I'm always wrong. Not always, but. Like a lot of times it's just the, it's just data, right? Like the B version wins and that's just information. And now I know and I can apply that to the next campaign. But yeah, the, to me, the favorite campaigns are the ones where you really learn something like, hey, doing something that we don't normally do makes us a bunch of revenue or the test that we think is super creative and fun and engaging doesn't convert as well as the test that's very straightforward or vice versa. There's, it, again, it depends on the audience, but I think those campaigns where, I don't know, I, I just like, I like to learn and grow and I don't like to be stagnant. So to me, the most memorable campaigns and flows and all those things are when, when our preconceived notions are, are challenged. For sure. Yeah. Even the idea of e-commerce brands love showing images in their emails. They love to show off their product and rightfully they worked really hard on that. But some of my favorite campaigns were when we would send a text-based email 
and we'd have like inline links to the product and not show any images of it. Just an email from somebody who works at the brand or the founder or whoever, like friend to friend talking about, hey, in case you missed our latest jeans, these are they're flying off the shelves and people are loving them. And here's all the reasons I love to wear them. And you might want to go check them out. Just those like conversational emails. Those are those are so fun to see, especially when a brand doesn't do them a lot. They really stand out and they are incredible conversion factors too. A hundred percent. I think episode seven, maybe I had on terrible looks like forget his name, but obviously he runs email at Moosehead or Moose Jaw. Yeah. Moose Jaw apparel and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. So yeah, he said that's one of that's their best campaigns are these text based campaigns. I send them once a week. It's in his name. And yeah. then they, yeah, <laughs> that's it. When it's a person, again, there's a person reading an email. So mm-hmm. people don't want to get emails from brands. They want to get emails from right. people. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's interesting how much like working with brands, how hesitant people are to like come out behind the brand, but be yeah. like the face of the brand or to get personal with their audience. Yeah. And even if you you don't have anyone in the company who might be that person, you can also you can create like an avatar of this is our I I know brands that have like mascots. And so the mascot will be in the email talking to people like you or you can. I've worked with brands who they didn't feel comfortable having any one person, actual person who works there's name attached to anything. So we just made somebody up. This is Jennifer. Great. Jennifer works for customer support. Awesome. Let's send an email from Jennifer and Jennifer doesn't have to be an actual person, but it's, it has that human element to it and it's written like it's from a human. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I, um, Chubby's was actually supposed to be season two opening episode, Ashley from Chubby's, but mm-hmm. they got acquired and then she had the chance. Yeah. <laughs> but something I love about Chubby's is that they sign off every email. It's a total right. sales email, but they're already, you know, written by BS. Between yes, us. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's yeah, there's real people behind it, and everyone knows that. And now they're giving you a name, and right, you, know, you feel a little bit closer to the brand because they're not being opaque; they're being very transparent. That's and right. People love that, and it's an opportunity to connect, and that's what people want. Yep. And if you have a a known entity behind the brand, definitely connecting with them, letting people, letting that person. So if you have like a well-known founder or somebody who's influential in the industry connected to the brand letting them shine and and it's an opportunity for you to show off your team and the people behind the brand and again yeah like your customers are going to connect to actual humans so that's awesome all right do you have a top thought for taking an email program and just pushing it to the next level Talk to your customers, talk to your customers, talk to your customers, talk to your customers, talk to your customers. It's true. Like, I think a lot of times in email, we get really in the weeds and we spend a lot of time in our ESP, like trying to move blocks around and think about, okay, how are we going to segment this or how are we going to build this flow to be more effective? And we can spend an entire week inside of an ESP and never get kind of head, bring your head up and look around. But I... Some of the most effective marketers I know have at least one call with a customer every single week, because ideally you have enough customers to do that. That's even if it's once a week, 52 weeks in a year, you probably have more than 52 customers. 
And it, it doesn't even just always have to be your great customers. You can talk to customers who didn't love their experience, or you can talk to customers who maybe were a customer for a little bit and haven't come back for a while. There's something to learn from every single experience of anybody interacting with your brand. You can talk to people who are subscribers, but not yet customers. That's a really interesting conversation to have too. But yeah, definitely your email program will completely take off if you go and talk to your customers. I would say another tip would be to try things that are unexpected from your brand. So if you have never sent a text-based email, do that. If you have, if you've never sent an email on a Sunday morning, do that. Just try to think about the things that are, um, might feel a little bit like out of the ordinary for your brand. It helps your, it helps you stand out to your customers to go, oh, why are they emailing me on Sunday morning? That's, that's cool. I'm just sitting here doing, drinking my coffee and I have time to read this email. Spending the time to think through those areas of opportunity will definitely teach you a lot about what is effective and what is not. I think another a third tip would be to not assume that what is working the best of everything. So I think a lot of times, particularly in a market where things are hard and jobs are on the line, we can go to what's comfortable and say, okay, our email program has, we get 60% of our revenue from email and I'm just not going to, not going to touch what's working. I'm going to keep doing that because it's working. And I think there's an, there's definitely an element of truth in that. And you can do that while also trying a few other things to see, is this going to move the needle in either direction? And you don't have to do it in a big way. You don't have to make a huge shift in your strategy or your priorities, but to try something to see, okay, is did that have a positive return or a negative return? And if it's negative, okay, we're never going to do that again. If it's positive, how can we lean into that more? But not getting like complacent, I think is probably that third tip. And the fourth tip I would say is we, and if you don't already do this, subscribe to other brands, not just in your industry, not just your competitors, but completely other brands and go through their purchasing process, go through, join their email list and either become a customer or don't, but see that experience of what other brands are doing so that you can see like how that feels, what you might learn from that. I think it's so important, particularly learning from other industries. If you are a subscription e-commerce brand, uh, learning from the software that you use. So if you use Shopify, if you use Klaviyo, if you use any number of big software for your brand, look at their email programs, look at what kind of emails they're sending, how often they're sending them, what's included, and see how that feels for you. See if there's something that you can apply to your program from these other industries. I think there's just so much to learn from one another that we get really stuck on. Okay, I know what my competitors are doing. But what about other, what if you sell clothes, what is a, what is a baby company teach have to teach you what is a car parts company have to teach you there's something we can learn from everyone so i think getting outside of the fear your little box is helpful too 
No, for sure. And yeah, speaking of resources, I guess like milled.com is awesome for digging up months worth of emails or. Yeah. And but I think there's something to be said. We have those tools and they're great. I think there's something to be said for actually receiving the emails in your inbox and also actually going through the process of being a customer. I know it takes an investment and maybe your brand is willing to do that. If you say, hey, I want to go spend 30 bucks on a t-shirt from this company so that I can become a customer and you're going to get all the post-purchase emails, you're going to get the shipping emails, you're going to get that whole experience of being like tagged as a customer in their system. It's a different experience than going through some of the services where like really good emails in those places where we can see other emails, but we don't get the customer experience. For sure. And definitely just the key is seeing what subject lines tickle you, you know what I mean? Oh, wow. Look what they just did there. And like, that's genius. Right. Exactly. We can all learn from each other. Okay. Can you speak to emerging trends or technologies? Obviously, AI is like the biggest thing ever now. Particularly softwares that are like pushing the needle in email. That'd be, yeah, that's this question's really good. Yeah. It's interesting. I think the emerging trend in digital marketing is actually focusing on retention. I feel like I've been screaming about retention for eight years and nobody has really cared. And now all of a sudden, acquisition is really difficult and expensive. And Facebook ads are constantly changing and have huge issues. And so now people are, brands are focusing more on their customer retention. I have seen so many postings for hiring a director of retention at different e-commerce brands. And I think that is a good sign that there is this trend of focusing on the customers you've already attracted and looking at that program. How are we treating customers once they're already in the door? We have, gosh, we have this whole group of thousands of customers, tens of thousands of customers who bought once and never bought anything again. Or we have this whole group of customers who are like very loyal and love us. And what can we do for them? Looking at those programs, that's to me, that's a part of a holistic life cycle program is looking at what is that experience of the customers once they're through the door. And I love seeing that trend happening of caring about customers who already exist versus (laughs) focusing. Acquisition is very important but it can't be the entire focus. It's definitely not like technology, but it's more of a business operational trend that I love seeing happening in marketing right now because it's only going to pay off in dividends for these companies. And you can still focus on acquisition. And and as a matter of fact, focusing on your existing customers creates a new acquisition channel where they are going out and being advocates for your brand and telling people. And you can even create formal ways for them to do that through a referral or affiliate program, or you can just give them an amazing experience that they just naturally go and do that. But it does create another acquisition channel. And that's fun too, to see retention outpacing net new acquisition in terms of acquisition. It's fun. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) It really is. Okay, what brands do you look for in your own inbox? Mm. You find... So their team is awesome and you love their. There's one I, I love a lot. There's many that I love, but one that I always look at and open and see what they're doing is a jewelry brand called Mason Maru. Mason Maru has, they make what they call map earrings or they make these like earrings that have a flat back. So 
they don't poke you when you're laying down to sleep. So you can sleep in them and they make a bunch of other jewelry too. And the emails are always so engaging. They have great subject lines. It's always very socially relevant to whatever's happening in the climate today. They also do a good mix of image-based emails and emails that are written from the founder. And I just really appreciate how they think about their email program. They do a lot of talking to customers in a way that like asking questions. One thing I know about the founder from their emails is that the founder loves pie. Like she doesn't like cake. She likes pie and that there's a pie shop close to her house. And so she, cause she'll often ask, has anybody had any good pie lately? What kind of pie are, do you like? What, what recommendations do you have? Do you have, do you know a pie shop that I should order a mail order pie from? And just like those kinds of human elements that Playful. they throw in there. You have nothing to do with jewelry. It has nothing to do with earrings, but I, now every time I see pie, I think of her, right? That's powerful. Yeah, for sure. I just like that. Having fun and being human and yeah. engaging people, talking like people. Yeah. We want to hear from you. And if I see do not replies at brand.com, it's like, why? Why would you do that to yourself? Another one that does similar, similar work, they're called Outway. They make socks and they do a lot of fun, like for your eyes only kind of subject lines. And gosh, those are, how can you not open that? Where I think enough, we all have enough. FOMO in our bodies that it's like things like that are very exciting. They do they they do some good launch content too. Uh, when they're releasing a new sock, they'll do riddles or pixelated images or like guessing games, right? There's all kinds of fun stuff that they do. And again, they have very relevant human copy in their emails and and then they also like pair that with images that that matter you know for sure so the next question is the last question i'm gonna stop here and say you recently posted about a book on twitter about hospitality can you tell us what was what you love about that book and maybe yeah yeah so that all the about. book is called unreasonable hospitality it's written by one of the a person who ran a restaurant called 11 madison park in new york city for a long time and it's it's incredible because it's actually about, it's about restaurants because that's his lived experience, but it's actually about how you treat people, both how you treat your team. There's a lot in there about like how you work with other people on a day-to-day basis, but there's also a lot about how you treat your customers and what makes a difference. And it's, again, it's that human element. One of the stories he tells is about overhearing a server overhearing at a table, somebody, two people discussing the meter that they had fed was, oh, it's going to run out in 20 minutes and let's keep an eye on the time. And so the server said something to someone else at the restaurant and they decided they were going to go feed the meter. So they went and asked the customer, hey, which car is yours? We'd like to take care of your meter for you. And they just went out and they filled the meter and came back and the customer didn't have to worry about it for the rest of the night. And well, that cost them what, like $2 and quarters. And it probably created a customer for life. Those customers were grateful. They had a better experience of their dinner because they weren't constantly checking the time to see if they were needed to run out to the meter. They didn't miss 
their food arriving at the table because they were feeding a meter. And little things like that really go a long way, both with your team and with your customers. And it's just chock full of stories and inspiration for how we treat people. And I think a lot of it can apply to email too, like how we talk to people, how we how we think about our email programs as it's not about, for him, it was never about creating a fine dining experience that that was like the same everyone else did. It was about creating a fine dining experience that nobody else had created before and that would become the example of this is how you run a restaurant. This is how you treat people. This is how you engage with your customers. So I think there's a lot to learn from an email perspective from running your email program, but then also just interacting with people and your team and your customers. And it's a really great book. All right. Thank you for that one. Yeah. And yeah, like this is it. So yeah, do you have any final thoughts you want to share? No, I think just remembering if we haven't been super clear about it to date, like I I just want to drill home to remember that your customers are human beings, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what you're selling, they're humans. And to get to know them as humans and talk to them like humans, give them content that matters to them and remember that because ultimately that's what's going to create the relationship long term that's going to turn into increased LTV and better sales and better brand reputation all all because of email. Val Geisler, guys, you heard it here. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Def- just definitely a little bit smarter today. So thank you. Really? And, uh, I'll wrap up and I'll let you go. Let's stick okay. around. Talk to you in a minute. Okay. All right. That's our show for today. Thank you. Huge thank you to Val Geisler for being so gracious and really shared just laying it all out there. Brands and the marketers listening. I'll leave for all the email geeks. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. And we're launching next week on Monday and there's still our opportunities to sponsor. So if you're listening and you want to sponsor, reach out to me or head to hillbird.com slash sponsor. Bye guys. That's all for today's episode of Inboxing. Uh, big thank you to our guest. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you've got suggestions, please just reach out to me at hello at um, Before we go, I want to remind you there's still sponsorship opportunities available for Inboxing. Uh, so if you're interested, you could just reach out to me again. Thank you for listening and tune in next week, every Monday, for the next episode of Inboxing. Mm-hmm.